You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to begin this morning's study with just telling you a short personal story about my, uh, my life. I gave my life to the Lord when I was 13 years old, and from that day, God began to do sort of a radical change in my life. God changed my behavior in many ways. He changed my study habits at school. He took a C student and made me an A student. He began to change a lot of my friendships and even parts of my personality. God began to change and to mold in what He needed them to be. Well, after three years at age 16, I began to sense a calling from God to ministry. I felt God pulling me towards being a pastor. And so with that in the forefront of my mind, I began to make plans. I began to move in that direction. After finishing high school, I went to Georgia Tech and uh, majored in management, thinking that would put me on the right path to then go to seminary. Later that summer, after graduating from high school, I went to visit a friend of mine at Southern Seminary up in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, I visited all weekend. I, I felt like this was just the next logical step in my plan and moving in the direction that I felt like God was taking me. Well, on my way home, something interesting happened. As I was driving through the mountains of Tennessee, I felt the Lord say to me, in no uncertain terms, James Seminary is not the plan I have for you. Now, I was shocked because here I was this young Southern Baptist kid, and to be honest with you, that was the only path that I knew to become a pastor. But I was certain that I'd heard from the Lord on both occasions. Well, to make a long story short, I graduated from college in 1981, and through a series of God encounters, Don and I began to attend Calvary Chapel Stone Mountain in August of that year. We were married in September. As a matter of fact, this week we celebrated our 38th wedding anniversary. And uh, I I say congratulations to Donna on surviving 38 years with me. That was no small ordeal, I can promise. Well, then I spent the next 10 years of my life working in the retail world. We had four children. I served as an elder in the church and also led worship here for a number of years at Calvary Chapel. But I spent many, many nights coming home from that job wondering if I had somehow missed God's plan. See, I still felt the call to be a pastor. But at this point in my life, I saw no pathway by which it would happen. I had no plan at this point in my life. I went through a lot of discouraging times. I would do everything I could at church as a volunteer, but I had a demanding job that required a lot of hours, especially from Thanksgiving to Christmas, which virtually worked all the time. Just about when I had given up on that calling, one day out of the blue at work, I got a phone call from Pastor Sandy, and he offered me a job. Now, I was caught off guard, and so I said, doing what? He said, I want you to come on staff as a pastor. And without even hesitating, I said, 
okay. Well, then it dawned on me that I probably ought to run this by Donna before I committed to anything. And she gave me her approval. And two weeks later, on May the 13th, 1991, I was ordained as a pastor and I was on staff here at Calvary Chapel. After 10 years and losing all hope or understanding of how it might happen, God, in a matter of moments, accomplished His purposes and promises in my life. You see, I had made a plan. But to accomplish God's greater purposes in my life, He had a different plan. But God used my planning, but He had much more in mind than just what I could see. See, my plan was all about what I thought God could do. But God had a different plan. And I think this is the way He works in all of our lives. We all know different times and places when God has spoken to our hearts. We've felt God call us to different places or different positions. It doesn't have to be about ministry to get a call from God. It can be about a lot of different things in your life. He has a purpose for you. But sometimes... His purposes and our plans don't exactly match. Because His purposes are often much more involved than what our plans account for. God needed 10 years of my life to mold me and to get me to a place where I was prepared to do what He had called me to do. And God used those 10 years to do things that I would not have otherwise done. How should we handle things when our pathways differ from those of God? Should we just make no plans at all? Should we just sit back and do nothing and hope God, God, you just work things out? Or should we simply follow our plans and hope God will eventually come along and join those plans and get on board with us? But see, I think God has a way of working. And this morning, in Proverbs chapter 16, he's going to deal with this issue. And he's going to spell out some some ways that God takes our plans and his purposes and he molds them together. Let's see how they work together to accomplish more in our lives than I think we can even imagine. He begins, we're going to cover eight big thoughts that I've given you there on your sheet of paper. Uh, Eight big thoughts that relate to keeping myself in the will of God. Eight truths that help ensure that my plans and God's purposes stay in harmony with each other. So let's begin reading in verse 1. He says, The preparations of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Now, King Solomon opens the discussion here by stating a truth that we need to embrace. And that is that God gives to each of us a free will to plan our lives. He says the preparations of our heart or the plans of our heart, they come from within us. We have choices. And God doesn't take away from us the right to choose our path. Look at the interesting truth that is revealed in this statement. My plans, he says, come from my heart. In other words, I set my course based upon what my heart wants to do. Now the question then becomes, who's in control of my heart? Is it me or is it the Lord Jesus? 
Is He the Lord of my heart or am I still ruling? Make no mistake about it. The course of my life will be set by the desires of my heart and the course of your life will likewise get set by the desires of your heart. But notice then what the writer says. He says, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Now this is the author's way of saying, man makes his plans, but God is still in ultimate control. He can trump our plans anytime he so desires. That doesn't mean he always will. Only that he can. Now this phrase, this phrase, the answer of the tongue is from the Lord, it could reference back to the story of Balaam. Remember, it was in the heart of Balaam to curse the children of Israel when they came out of, of Egypt and were coming into the land. Because why? Because Balaam stood to make a lot of money if he would curse the people. And each time he tried, each time he stood up on the mountain and opened his mouth to begin to curse the people, God would intervene and only words of blessing would come out. The answer of Balaam's tongue came from the Lord. And he can do the same in our lives anytime he desires to. Again, it doesn't mean he will, only that he can. That God is sovereign and he can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And we need to come to that truth in our heart and realize it. So, our first truth is this. I must always be open to God's purposes overriding my plans. Or as Pastor Chuck used to always say, Blessed are the flexible, for they will not be broken. When we get so rigid with our plans that the Holy Spirit is, and the Holy Spirit is not free to lead us as He desires, sometimes He will break us. And speaking from experience, that is not fun. You don't want God having to break you in order to change your plans. That's not the most enjoyable thing in life. See, we need to plan, but we must remain open to the guiding of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We should never get so committed to any plan that God can't redirect us as He desires. Now, our second big thought is found in verse 2. There he writes, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Now, the reason that I need to remain open to the guiding of the Holy Spirit in my heart is because my heart is prone to selfishness and self-centered desires. Did I say that clearly enough to us? Guys, your heart and my heart is wired in such a way that it is wired to please us. That is always our first thing. Oftentimes, I am blinded to my own motives when it comes to, to pleasing people I'm first on the list, usually, in my own heart. The decisions and the choices that I make, they may look wholesome and fair to me, but many times they're simply self-serving and they're greedy. And like I said, many times I don't even see it. You know, things look good to me. The decision I made, boy, that looks really good to me. My choices appear to me to be equitable to everybody. When in reality, the truth is they favor me. Yes, they may not harm other people, but rest assured, they benefit me. My choices take care of me. And see, I can do that without even thinking about it. God sees right through us, though. 
He knows our motives better than we do. And my problem is I don't, I don't always appreciate God reading my motives. I, I prefer to keep the blinders on. I, I, I prefer to just kind of ignore that whisper of the Holy Spirit. That, hey, James, you know, you might be doing this because, you know, you want what you're going to get here. Rather than listening to God say, hey, you know, are you thinking about other people? Are you considering your wife? Are you considering your friends? Are you considering the people around you? I don't really like to hear that voice a lot of times. So, truth number two says, my plans are often clouded by my selfish desires. I must allow God to weigh them. You know, this is where a spouse or a friend can be really helpful. Sometimes it's good to ask for the honest opinion of our decisions of someone around us. You know, go to our wife and say, you know, honey, I've made this plan. What do you think about it? Or or sitting down with a friend and saying, you know, this is what I'm thinking about doing. What do you think about it? And ask them to be honest. But then don't get angry when they tell you that they believe you're acting in your own self-interest. Because so often we are and we don't even see it. Verse 3 says, commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Now the starting point of any planning should be to commit those plans to the Lord. At the outset, seek God's will when you're setting a course. This will ensure that God can establish those plans. This will assure that He will help you align your will with His will. See, our third truth states this. Maintain an attitude of submission to the will of God from the beginning of our planning. So often, do we make plans and then after we're done, we pray and say, okay, Lord, I've made my plan. Now will you bless them? I'm always intrigued by a certain episode in the life of Abraham that perfectly illustrates this truth. God had come to Abraham and had promised him a son through his wife, Sarah. But many, many years passed and, and she had failed to conceive. And so one day, Sarah comes up with her own plan. She will allow Abraham a night or two with her maidservant, Hagar. Hagar will then conceive and bear a child. And Sarah and Abraham will raise that child as their own. She thought, hey, this is the perfect plan to accomplish the purposes of God in my life. I already know what those purposes are anyway. And it was perfect right up until Hagar got pregnant. That's when Sarah lost it. Suddenly Sarah had come face to face with the fact that maybe she had been the problem all along. See, I believe she secretly hoped by doing this that it would prove that Abraham was the reason they had not conceived, not her But now, with each passing day and with the ever-widening waistline of Hagar's belly, Sarah got angry and she got bitter towards her maidservant. The relationship was damaged forever. Finally, in her bitterness, she cries out and runs Hagar and Ishmael out of the camp. Of course, God protects Hagar and Ishmael. He even blesses them for Abraham's sake because Ishmael was his child. But he would not be the child of promise. Well, many more years passed by. Still no baby for Sarah and Abraham. Then in Genesis chapter 17, God one last time comes to Abraham and renews his promise. 
But at this point, the old man has had enough. He's 99 years old. His patience with God has run out. He's done with all this promising. And so in chapter 17, we read, Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And he said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall, and shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac, and I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. Abraham and Sarah had made their plan. And now they wanted God to bless that plan. But that's not how it works, guys. God has to be a part of any planning from the very beginning if He's going to bless that plan and establish it. We can't make our plans and then go to God and say, Hey God, come on, get on board with us. can't do that after the fact. We submit to His will and to His plans. These are the plans that God will establish. We've got to learn to seek God's will from the outset. Acknowledge Him before we reach any conclusions on what we should do or where we should go. If our plans are going to be established, we submit to God's will. God never submits to us. Then in verse 4 we read, the Lord has made for has ma- the Lord has made all for himself. Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. Now our fourth truth is this. God has a purpose for all that he does. But first let me make sure that we all understand what this verse is not teaching. This verse is not saying that God has made certain people for heaven and certain people for hell. He's not saying that some people were created to be destroyed by God and to spend eternity in hell. That is not an interpretation that is correct of this passage. Because that interpretation nowhere squares with the rest of Scripture. The Bible is clear that salvation is open to anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. If you're not a believer here this morning, it is because you have chosen not to believe. Don't blame your unbelief on God. He's done all He can do. He sent His Son to die for you. He brought the message of that through His Word to your life. He's brought you to a church that is teaching you that good news week after week. What more do you need? The only reason that you're not a Christian today is because you don't want to be. You have rejected God's free gift. What this verse is teaching is that God has a purpose in everything. He has made all things for Himself. In other words, God will accomplish His purposes through everything that happens in His creation. And in a sense, and in that sense, even the wicked have a destination according to His plan. But understand, They have chosen that destiny. He didn't decide it for them. They decided to reject God's love and avoid fellowship with Him. 
God simply honors that decision and will one day accommodate them. I believe if all people embraced the Savior, there would be no reason for a day of doom and destruction. But the positive side of this verse is that it teaches us that God has a plan for everything that transpires in our life. Understand, He does not cause everything that happens to us. Please understand that. But He will use every event in our life to accomplish His purposes. Hey, many horrible things happen to people in this life because of the sinful actions of evil people. Sometimes even the sinful actions of good people. Innocent people get hurt. Men, women, and yes, even children are hurt by the destructive decisions. Sometimes their own decisions, sometimes the decisions of the others. But God is not the cause of these horrific tragedies. But what this verse is saying is that God can redeem them. God can take what men meant for evil and accomplish good through them. Yes, they're still painful. They're still destructive at that moment. But in time, God can work good and will work good through all things. Time does not heal all things, guys. We've we've heard that phrase from the time we were young, right? Time heals all things. Time does not heal all things. God heals all things. It just sometimes takes time for God to do His healing work. If you're in the midst of a storm caused by sin right now, maybe your sin, maybe someone else's sin, be patient. Give God time. He'll accomplish His purposes. You just need to remain faithful and committed to those purposes and just let Him work. God has a purpose in all that He does. Now in verse 5 we read, Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Nothing will divert you from the will and purposes of God quicker than pride will. See, pride is the enemy of dependence on our Heavenly Father. A proud heart is one that is determined to do things its own way. It's not concerned with anything other than that. I'm going to get what I want. This was the heart of King Saul. This was the heart of King Ahab and his evil wife Jezebel. This was even the heart of Saul of Tarsus before the Damascus Road experience. And guys, we could go on and on, for the Bible is filled with examples of men and women who stiffen their necks towards God and scream, I will do this my own way. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, King Saul is preparing to go to battle against the Philistines. But before going into battle, he knew that the prophet Samuel needed to come to the camp and make a sacrifice. And so they made arrangements, and in seven days, Samuel was going to come, but something delayed him from coming. Now, the law of Moses had strictly prohibited the king from making a sacrifice. The king was never to take on the role of the priest or the prophet. But Saul, King Saul, in his pride, he didn't think the rules applied to him. Have you ever thought that? Have you ever thought, 
oh yeah, I know they have rules and things, but they don't apply to me. You ever been somewhere, you know, and saw a sign that had certain rules for being a part of that place, and you say, well, that didn't apply to me. Listen, when you think that way, guys, that is pride. And that is exactly what King Saul was thinking. And so in his pride, he offered the sacrifice. And just about the time he's done, who do you think arrives? But Samuel. He comes walking up just as Saul had completed the sacrifice. And in chapter 13, verse 11, we read, And Samuel said to Saul, What have you done? And Saul said, When I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that you did not come in the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered at Michmash, then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I, was, I felt compelled, and I offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord, In other words, Saul, you're no exception to the rule. But now your kingdom shall not be kingdom, excuse me, for now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Notice Saul felt compelled to offer the sacrifice. Now, why? Because in his proud heart, he determined that he was the exception to God's law. He was the king. He was bigger than those old rules. His will in this moment was more important than God's will. And his pride quickly disqualified him from the purposes of God in his life. His pride diverted him from the path of the will of God. His pride led him down a path that was so far from the purposes of God that they could no longer be reconciled. And thus God rejected him as king. See, our fifth big thought is simply this. Pride is the enemy of God's plan for your life. Be careful when you start thinking the rules don't apply to you. Be careful when you start thinking that you are the exception to the biblical truths that you're learning here each Sunday. Proverbs 16, verse 25, a very sobering proverb says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. This is the danger of the proud heart. It deceives us, and then ultimately it will destroy us. But then in verse 6, the writer says, In mercy and truth, atonement was provided for iniquity. And by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Truth number 6 is this. A proper reverence for God is the first step in knowing and joining His plans and purposes for your life. Atonement, or salvation as we would call it in the New Testament, It comes through the combination of two channels. The first channel is the channel of mercy, and the second channel is the channel of truth. God initiated in His mercy salvation by reaching down to mankind. Saving man from his sin was God's idea. The plan originated with God. It didn't start with us. 
man didn't wake up one day and say, wow, you know, we, we really need to be saved from this mess we've made of this world and of our life. No, God started that thinking because of His mercy. Because He loves us. And His mercy motivated His heart to act in such a way that would allow salvation to come to us. But truth caused Him to send His Son to the cross. See, the Father couldn't overlook our sin. A penalty had to be paid. And Jesus paid that price for you and I. Our salvation was accomplished on that cross. But that salvation must be accepted and embraced by each one of us in order for our lives to be changed for eternity and for our path to become on the path of God, of God's path. It all begins with developing a healthy fear and reverence for God. And guys, I don't believe most people today really fear God. I'm sad to say I don't even believe most, well, not most. I don't even believe a lot of Christians today fear God. The world in their unbelief, they fake, they shake their fist at God and up to heaven and they mock Him and they entertain themselves with movies and TV shows that make the eternal God the butt of the joke. And the humor becomes God in some one-liner. And then they take the patience of God and His long-suffering as proof that He does not exist. Oh, look at God. I can shake my fist at Him and He doesn't do anything about it. God doesn't really exist. Listen, one day soon, God will bring justice to this fallen world. One day, God will enact vengeance. And mankind will not be laughing then. I hope you have a healthy fear of God in your life. A healthy fear. A healthy understanding. A healthy reverence for who He is. And though He's merciful and though He's kind, He is also just. And one day judgment will come to this world and we will have to answer for our lives And in that day, it will be a frightening day for anyone who is not standing with Christ. Hell is no joking matter. And God is no joking matter. The fear of the Lord is the starting point for finding God's plan and purpose for my life and for your life. Do you have a healthy reverence for Almighty God? Or have you become so familiar with Him that you take Him for granted? Do you understand the seriousness of our rejecting His love? One day God will judge. Will you be on the right side of that judgment? Then we read in verse 7, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now we need to understand the nature of a proverb. A proverb is not always true. Proverbs are statements of general truths. Generally speaking, they are correct. And this statement or this verse is an excellent example of that. Because generally speaking, when we please the Lord with our behavior and our actions, most people are going to live at peace with us. They're going to appreciate our love and our respect and our care for others. According to this proverb, Even those who might hate us, a lot of those people will live at peace with us 
because they'll just appreciate who we are. They'll appreciate our kindness. But obviously, this is not always true. If it were, the church would have never suffered persecution. But as Paul told Timothy, yes, all those who, love, who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer some persecution. There will be persecution along the way. The truth that we get from this verse, the big idea is God's plans and purposes are generally the safest path for us to travel. See, when you're in the center of God's will, you're usually in a pretty safe place. It is the pathway outside of God's plan that is unstable and rocky and dangerous. A sinful lifestyle is fraught with all kind of painful consequences. We see this all through the Scripture, that sin destroys relationships. Sin complicates life. Sin is painful. Think of the life of David after his night with Bathsheba. It became one nightmare after another. Remember the painful experience of Lot after he moved down to Sodom. The safest place to be is right in the center of God's will. Seek to keep yourself there. And maybe, if you do, even those people who hate you will live at peace with you. Our final truth is found in verse 8. There he writes, Better is a little with righteousness than vast revenues without justice. I think many of us are challenged by this proverb because we hold to the Old Testament thinking that God blesses, or, or when God is blessing us, it always means we're going to have more. You know, if, God, if I'm in the center of God's will, that means I'm going to have everything I want, I'm going to just have a lot. Guys, that, that's not true. This verse reminds us that it's not true. That oftentimes, when we're living life, doing what matters most, it is not going to be the place where we have the most. In other words, it's not going to be the quantity of our net worth. It is going to be the quality of our character that will align our life with God's will. Our priorities must be God's priorities if we're going to follow His purposes in our lives. What are, what are His priorities? He tells us here, righteousness and justice are God's priorities. Not bank accounts and bottom lines, but so often these become my priorities. I'm most, you know, I have to ask myself every day, am I most concerned with doing righteousness, doing what's right, even if it cost me a sell at work, even if it cost me some profits on my bottom line, even if it cost me some extra taxes that I'm going to have to pay because I choose to do what's right rather than what's expedient. This is where Lot's life went sideways. You remember Lot, Abraham's nephew? God was blessing Abraham and Lot. They both had gobs of of sheep and goats and, and it, it got so bad that that they were kind of overlapping one another and there was a lot of conflict created so Abraham comes a lot one day and he says Abraham he says Lot you go one direction I'll go to the other you go right I'll go left you go left I'll go right doesn't matter to me Lot pick and choose where you want to go and Lot looked down and he saw the fertile plain of Sodom 
And he saw the affluence there and the prosperity there and the financial gains of going to Sodom caused him to overlook the demonic worldly influences that would wreak havoc on his family. Trust me when I say, Lot is not the last husband to endanger the spiritual well-being of his family in exchange for a chance to get ahead financially. Unfortunately, I've seen it all too often. Truth number eight is simply this. We must keep the right priorities in our life if we're going to stay on God's path and follow His priorities. Guys, we learn God's priorities each week when we come in here and we study His Word. The question for us is this. How do you respond when there is conflict between what you hear on Sunday morning and what you are prioritizing during the week on Monday? Which gets sacrificed? Which wins out? If you want to be anchored to God's will and to His purposes in your life, you have to be willing to change. God will not compromise His priorities. We have to change ours. It's not God who will change. It will be us. Finally, in verse 9, the writer reaffirms his opening thought by saying this, A, man, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Again, a man's heart plans his way. Our plans come from our heart. But is Jesus Lord of our life? If He is, He can direct our steps. See, we need to make plans. God wants us to pray and to plan. He doesn't want us to live life without goals or without direction. He doesn't want us just to kick back and say, okay, God, I'm just waiting on you. No, He's waiting on us. He wants us to pray and to plan and to pick a direction and to, and to follow the leading of His Holy Spirit. He just wants to make sure that we consider Him and consult Him and prioritize Him when we're making our plans. I'll conclude with James chapter 4. I'll read just a couple of verses to you. James writes, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen to you tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. James pictures a man here who gets up on Monday morning to go to work and he says, hey, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. I'm going to such and such a city. I got it all planned out. I'm flying Delta. We leave at 8.05. I'm arriving in L.A. and I'm selling. It's going to be great. And then I'm coming home and then we're going to plan next week. Never once does that man think about, wait a minute, my life could be just a vapor. How do I know I'm even going to be here tomorrow? Instead, on Monday morning, that man should say, if the Lord wills, this is what I'm going to do. In other words, he, he, he needs to begin his day. She needs to begin her day saying, Lord, 
lead me today. Lord, I got plans, but Father, I want to bow those plans to your purposes in my life. Lord, I never want my plans to be inflexible to your will. If the Lord wills, let that be the attitude with which we, with which we start every day of our life. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that, Lord, you have a plan and a purpose for every person in this room this morning. Lord, no one, there's no one here, Lord, that you don't want to do your will in their life. But Father, I pray for that person to the, who to this point in their life has just steadfastly rejected you and rejected your will. Father, I pray that today they would start by bowing their heart to you. That they would start by bowing their knee. And Lord, that their heart, the pride that's in their heart, bowing it to you. Lord, and with a holy fear, recognize who you are. That you are the Almighty God, the Creator of their life. Lord, the Sustainer of their life. Father, I pray that you'll draw them to yourself today. And Lord, I, I, I pray for a few others. And Lord, I know there are some here, I'm sure, that, Lord, they, they've been making their plans. They're really good at making plans. But Lord, they haven't really considered you, your will, your plans for their life. Oh, they love you, Lord. And, and, and Lord, I know that. And they want... They want to do what you want, Lord. They just haven't slowed down enough to consider it. I pray that they will today. And that you'll begin to guide them in ways that they didn't think were possible. So, Father, for all of us, Lord, our prayer today is, Lord, your will be done. If the Lord wills, Lord, we do it. And we ask this together in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor James Chapman. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor James' teaching ministry by visiting calvarycsm.org.